0: You know, sometimes wording doesn't mean the same thing, you know, whenever you're praying. So it's always good to have the right words. We're in Acts chapter 11 today. <clears throat> the uh, Christian church in Jerusalem were Jews who believed in Jesus as their Messiah. You have to imagine that these are Jews <clears throat> that live their lives Um Going to the temple, going to synagogue, and hearing about the Messiah, hearing what the Old Testament said about the Messiah, but not actually seeing the Messiah. And then the Messiah comes, but their religion, their leaders, don't believe that he is the Messiah. And so these are... The Jews that said, hold on. This is the Messiah. Look, he's giving us the evidence of the Messiah. He's doing everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. And so they become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. They are witnessing the fruit of the prophecy of the Old Testament being fulfilled in the man Jesus. And so this is what they've been waiting for and now they have peace but there's a difference there's something different they're not locked into the law into legalism because Jesus had came not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and so now they're seeing the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in Jesus Christ. And so this is something that was unexpected because they weren't taught that this is what the Messiah was going to do. They were taught the Messiah was going to come. He was going to wipe out all the enemies. He was going to establish his throne and everything was going to be good. And because they were Jews, they were going to get a front seat. You know, right there at the front of the the temple there, they were going to have the best seat in the house. And, And so that was the mentality of Jews back then until they were set free by the truth. So when Jesus said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant is what we live under today. We live in the age of grace we live under this covenant of grace where we're not you know, stuck in law and legalism. We're set free from that. Does that mean that we can do whatever we want and and sin as much as we want? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans. He said, what, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Uh, absolutely not, because that would mean we really didn't understand what grace is. We didn't really get set free from grace. Uh, We're set free and we have liberty in the grace of God, but it's demonstrated through how we love him, through how we follow him, through how we obey him. And it's not that the obedience is what saves us. He did that at the cross. The obedience shows us that we believe that he saved us. It just becomes part of our lives. So the Jews, they consider the Gentiles, you know, just these pagan worshipers of, of other gods or no God, and, and they're not worthy of salvation. They had to become a Jew to be saved. They had to be circumcised to be saved. They had to do what the Jews do to be saved. And, and they weren't able to be saved until after they became Jews. And then it would be okay. So the whole idea of Jews and Gentiles as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that was something completely different than what they expected. They never. They didn't read any scripture. They weren't taught by the, the, the priests and the scribes that Gentiles actually had a place in God's plan. And, and so now that things are changing, this is something totally different than what they expected. So now we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 11. My book is still turned to Joel, pardon me. Acts chapter 11, we're going to pick it right up in verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. So here, Peter gets back to Jerusalem. Who's there in Jerusalem? The apostles and people that have continued to get saved. Remember, there was the dyspora. There was the the... the spreading of the um, Christians from Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned to death and everybody ran because Saul was going to murder all Christians. So they all left and went to the outlying areas as far away as they could get from Jerusalem. And the only ones that were left there, we are told, were the apostles. Well, Where are these other disciples coming from? Well, the apostles didn't stop preaching. They continued to lead people to Christ. And so the church is reforming and enlarging, getting bigger uh, there in Jerusalem. And so here were these Jews that were converted because at this time, there were no Gentiles being converted there in Jerusalem especially. They weren't being converted. It was only Jews. And and so Peter and the apostles were still leading people. While Peter left, he was in Joppa and then he went to Caesarea and now he's coming back to Jerusalem and they heard the stories. You went to the home of a Gentile. Uh, that would be Cornelius, and you went in and stayed there with them and you ate with them. What are you kidding me? This is all things that are against the law in Judaism. So uh, he obviously wasn't being obedient to the Jewish law. They didn't say anything about the fact that he was staying in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. At the home of Simon Simon the Tanner. Well, that was also against Jewish law. Uh, to be staying with someone that was um, touching dead animals on a daily basis. Uh, was it, it would make you unclean. And so they didn't say anything about that. Because he was Jewish. So I'm, it's okay. We'll, we'll give him a, a pass. So these... Circumcised Jews that were Christians now, following Jewish traditions and customs, uh, they were the ones that thought this was completely wrong. Um, And the phrase there that says contended with him is literally to make a difference. They were trying to make a difference between the Jews and the Gentile believers. They were trying to separate the two. And you can understand this coming from a nation who thought that they were God's chosen people. There were none that were qualified to even access God unless they became a Jew. And so they were at the top of the food chain. Any other human was less of a person because they weren't Jewish. And so you can imagine that this is where they got this idea from that Gentiles, even Gentile believers, were not worthy. They they weren't worthy to have a relationship with God. So how sad that they thought themselves so good. You know, so because... Every one of us in here, everyone online, is a sinner. And we've all been saved by the grace of God. None of us is perfect. There's only one that is perfect. That's Jesus. And he came not through the blood of man, but through a virgin so that he could take his perfection and make a way for us to be righteous. Because in and of ourselves, there's no way. I don't care how many animals you kill, you're not going to become righteous by the blood of an animal. And, and so uh, Jesus was the only one set apart. All the rest of us are on the same playing field. We're, we're all condemned. That's John three 17. We're all condemned. Yes, he saved us. To save us from what? The condemnation that we're under. And they weren't quite sure that they understood that. So things don't change much nowadays. It's still the same mentality that we have uh, today in many places. So in the opinion of God, there are no differences. We talked about this last week in Acts 10.34, where... It says, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Right? Because who was he telling this to? The Jews? No. He was telling this to Cornelius and the Gentiles. He's saying, you know what? I, I see this. God is not partial. And, you know, even though you guys are Gentiles... He doesn't look at you less than he looks at me. So uh, he had to confront now these Jews that thought the Gentiles were not the same level, the same playing field that they were on. He had to build this airtight case. So now he is going to continue. But Peter, in verse 4, explained it to them in order... From the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by the four corners it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. And, and you know what? I, I can see the Jews as he's saying this going, you're right. You're, you, that's right. You know, we don't eat, you know, unclean. I, I could see them going along with this saying, yeah, Peter, that's right. But you have to, you have to hear Peter's statement, not so, Lord. I'm telling God, no, Uh, you know what, Uh, that's not here, that's not part of my plan, Lord, let me tell you what my plan is, don't we try to do that sometimes, you know, when when God gives us wisdom and direction, and then we say, hold on, Lord, I got a better plan, and you know what the Lord says, okay, you go on with your bad self, And, 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 and then come back when you find out that it doesn't work, you know? And, and so I could see them all going along with Peter right now. But the voice answered me from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. And and so Peter now recounts everything that happened to him before he went to meet with Cornelius, he wants them to understand that this wasn't from him. He didn't come up with this idea. This was God. It was a voice from him. It was a vision that he saw of, you know, the sheet coming down and, and showing him all of the animals clean and unclean. You know, and, and in, in modern terms, we look at this and uh, we would see, you know, like there's Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell and, and all of these. But then you have Ruth's Chris and, and you have all of this coming down and, and, oh, I won't eat Taco Bell. You know, I'm not going to defile myself with, with that, you know, and oh, no, it's all clean. You can eat all of it. It's all good. Some of it may not be good for you, but you know what? You can eat it all. And Peter says, No, you know, that's not right, because Jewish dietary laws restricted them from eating things that were unclean. And now he's telling the apostles and the other Jews that were there that have now become Christians that God has taken away that barrier and that they can eat freely uh, from these different foods. But that's not what this was about, right? It, it, it had a twofold meaning. They trusted Peter because Peter did miracles before them. He went and stood up to the religious rulers there in Jerusalem. And so they trusted him because they knew that Peter had the Holy Spirit and was doing the work of God. It was evident in the, the miracles that he was performing. It was evident in the boldness of his speech. And so as he tells them this, now we sometimes think that back then they didn't have the gifts that we have today, technology. And and the, uh, the way to communicate, you know, the way, you know, they didn't have a Toastmasters group. So, you know, Peter probably wasn't getting through to them, you know, the best way he could. And so here's the reality is that as he's telling them these things, you know, the Holy Spirit is stirring in their hearts, telling them, this is the truth. This is what you need to hear. And their hearts were being stirred by what Peter was telling them. And they trusted him. So in verse 11, we read, At that very moment, three men stood before the house. Now this is, remember, Peter recounting what took place. He was at at Simon the Tanner's house, up on the roof, waiting for lunch, has this vision, and now... At that moment, there are men standing at the house where I had been sent, uh, that were sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. And that was the exact words that the Spirit said Don't doubt anything, go with these men. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So he said, These six brethren accompanied me. I think they were right there with him. You know, these six, these guys over here, these guys accompanied me because he wanted them to know that these brethren, these circumcised Jews that are brethren, accompanied him and witnessed everything that he was telling them uh, right now. And he told how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, "Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter." Verse fourteen, who will tell you words by which you all, uh, which you and all your household, will be saved. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And so Peter lays it all out. Let me show you the picture. The picture is, I went to um, um, uh, Caesarea. Cornelius was there. I went to his house, and I was sharing with them. Now, well, in verse uh, in chapter ten, we talked about that. That he only got like nine sentences out, and. He was going to continue preaching to them, but the next thing you know, they're all speaking in tongues and worshiping God and praising the Lord. And he was like, oh, well, I guess my job is done. You know, Uh, he, he was amazed. So were the circumcised Christians. They were amazed that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the uncircumcised, on the Gentiles. We can get that sometime ourselves. When we're sharing with someone for so long and we share with them the truth and we want them to know the Lord and, and we tell them all about the Lord and everything and, and then all of a sudden they get saved. Uh, quite often it's not us who leads them to Christ, it's someone else. And they say, you know, this person just shared with me, and now I, I received you. What do you mean that person? I've been talking to you for years, and you didn't listen to me. And now, all of a sudden, you have this holy revelation, you know. And, and, and we can become indignant about the fact that we didn't get to lead them. Hey, some water, some plant, and some harvest. And you're, you may not be a harvester you may just be a waterer. So that's okay. And so when this happens, the best thing for us to do is shut up and run with it. You know, because quite often what we do as Christians is saying, oh great, now that you're saved, let me tell you everything you have to do now right? This is what you have to do. Uh, you have to, oh, you smoke, you have to stop smoking. Okay, you drink, you have to stop drinking, you know? Or do you watch R-rated movies? Stop it, cut it out, you know, get rid of Netflix, get rid of, you know, and we have a, you know, our level. But you know what's funny is that when I became saved, everybody else looked so much sin, so much more sinful than I did, you know? I was the biggest thinking sinner when I got saved. And, you know, so everyone else's sin looks so sinful. It looks so ugly. But that's how it's supposed to be. When we get saved, we're supposed to recognize how sinful sin is, how ugly it is. Paul said that as he grew in his relationship with the Lord... He recognized that he was all the way to being the chief of sinners. Why? Because he recognized how sinful sin is, how, how ugly it is. And as we grow in the Lord, that's what should happen to us. We should recognize as we grow closer to him how ugly sin is. Not in someone else's life, in our own we should look and say, you know what? That's me. That's the sin that I have. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to help us because we can't do it on our own. You know, when we hear that, that scripture, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Uh, sometimes we're thinking I can do all things I want to do through Christ who gives me strength. I I just have to have a list of things that I want to do. And here let me write up this list and now I'm going to do all those things that, you know, and, and really what it says is that we can do all things the holy spirit wants us to do through Christ. We can do all things that are within the will of God you know, through Christ. And so when we get to that point where we say, hold on, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And it may not be what I would put on my list of things to do. You know, send me as a missionary to Hawaii, you know. No, Hawaii and Ethiopia are spelled completely different. They're not even on the same continent. Come on. But, you know, that's where God... And then God blesses you wherever he sends you. The place that he sends you, you're going to be blessed. Peter, I'm sure, wasn't thinking, send me to that Gentile home. I, I want to go there. I want to eat some pig. You know? it. it, it but... He, he wasn't thinking that. But when the Lord led him, he said, I'm going. Because that's where God is leading me. And so I will go there. I will do what he wants me to do. There are people who try to tell us different ways to be saved. Uh, they tell us what we have to, you know, what you have to do to be saved. You have to leave every sin behind And you have to live a pristine, sin free life. Well, that's the truth. But you can't do that because that's not reality. But that's the goal. That's the goal of what we should be doing, what we should be looking to do. But when we fail, we don't say, that's it, I've lost my salvation. You know, I, I went to a church where every week I was going back up to get saved because I, I knew I had lost my salvation that week. I, I was horrible that week. I, I did something terrible and, you know, and it was nothing. It was absolutely, but for me, everything was sinful, you know, and so I had to go back up and repent and be saved again. And, and so this is a struggle that people have once saved, always saved. And they have a struggle with the, the concept of being saved um, from the time that you receive the Holy Spirit, that you are saved. And you can't lose your salvation. You know, I, I lose my car keys, I lose my phone, I can't lose my salvation. You know, uh, why? Because I'm sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm sealed. That seal doesn't wash off. I'm good to go. But what is the evidence that I'm sealed? The evidence I'm sealed is by how I live, uh, by how I share the joy of the Lord with others. That's the evidence of what I believe and how I'm saved. Uh, It doesn't mean that I'm perfect all the time. It means that I know I'm saved, and I am. The works that I do are just the byproduct of salvation. I'm living for the Lord, and I'm trying to do the best. Work out your own salvation. Um, You know, we're all going to be failing at that um, because working your salvation to get to heaven, you'll never qualify. Our salvation is worked out, the evidence is in the works that we do, but that's not how we're saved. We are saved, as he said here, uh, they were given the same gift that he gave them, Uh, When they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 9, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where our salvation is found. Paul says salvation begins in the heart. If you believe in the heart, that's where salvation begins. It's not here in the head. I believe intellectually in Jesus Christ because there are lots of people that intellectually believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't know him personally. They don't have a relationship with him. In our study in Joel on Wednesday night, he finished chapter two saying, and it shall come to pass that whoever Calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name. Joel had it down way before Jesus came to set people free through his crucif- crucifixion. Excuse me. So Joel knew that it will come to pass. Joel was talking about the future. He wasn't talking about right then, but he was talking about the future. And so that's what all chapter two is about. Ch- chapter two is about revelation, it's about tribulation and, and the day of the Lord. And anyone who called on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, you know, there are many people that profess something with their mouth and uh, really don't even believe it in their hearts. Uh, they change what they believe week to week, month to month, because their uh, belief is based on human uh, knowledge, human wisdom, or religion. There are people that are Buddhist and um, you know Muslim and, and Hindu, and all of these other religions, some are agnostic. Uh, That's another religion. Atheism is a religion. So, there are people that have all these other beliefs, and they change as they realize that this isn't what I want. This isn't satisfying me. You know, what I believe here doesn't, you know, meet, you know, the part where my soul feels happy. And so, they go from one thing to another, to another. Maybe yoga. You know, if I get into the right position, all of a sudden I'll have peace. You know, uh, I've, you know, tried to get myself into a position. It took me a week to get out of it. So, you know, those things are all physical. It all tied to the world. It's not Tied to the Spirit of God. And so when we are saved through Jesus Christ, it's a spiritual change that takes place. We're saved not only intellectually, that we understand that we're saved, and we have the Word of God. And and I'm not saying you don't need to understand what the Bible says, you do. Because that's your, that's your instruction manual for life. But we're saved here. It, it's the Holy Spirit that's living in our heart. That we recognize sin before we fall into it. And that's what people are, were missing back then. That's why so many people were coming into a relationship at that time with Jesus... Because they were tied up in legalism for so long. The law was a tutor that led them to Jesus. It, the law showed them, I can't obey Ten Commandments. I can't even do that. It, you know, So if I were perfect with the Ten Commandments, then okay, then maybe I'd have a chance. But I know, and you know, that none of us can live by those Ten Commandments. I often say, C- commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. That's it. All of us are busted. We're all out of here. You know, and that's the problem with trying to live by the law. It will always convict us. So Peter now has to present his final argument. And this argument has to be presented in such a way that they're going to get. And he said, if therefore God, gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And so to these Jews, they're listening, saying, you're right, we can't withstand. If that's what God did, then we can't withstand it. And then in verse 18 When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. They accept it. They realize, oh, then this is the way it is. This is the new normal because now God has done something that we never expected to do, but because he did it, we have to be good with it. Have you ever felt that in your life that, um, you know, God was doing something and you weren't good with it? You just didn't feel like it was? Uh, I felt that way before, you know. Lord, I put so much effort into this. And because I put so much effort into this, we've got to follow through with it. I've got to do what I've put so much effort into. God said, okay, go ahead. And then you spend three years walking back what you put so much effort into that wasn't what the Lord wanted done. He's not going to say, okay, because you're not doing what I want you to do, you're out of here. You know, you're gone. But it's not an easy road back after you've done your own thing because you really have to humble yourself to get back to where the Lord is able to use you. Sometimes it takes decades to get back to where God wants you to be. When his Holy Spirit works people respond because it's the work of the Lord. So when these people who were used to doing everything a certain way became Christians, but they're still hanging on to the past and trying to take baby steps into the future, and now they're confronted with something they never expected, it's only by the Holy Spirit that they're going to be able to take that next step, that they're going to be able to... Walk with the Lord fully because they can't do it on their own. They've got too much of that legalism still trapped within the, the certain way of doing things is still stuck here in their minds. I used to work on cars. I used to be able to adjust the timing and you know and get that car just running so smooth by you know just dialing this and touching this and and doing that I open the hood of the car I don't even know what's in there anymore I don't, what is that thing oh that's the engine okay and how do you adjust it uh, you don't uh, you bring it to the mechanic who then will Tell you, oh, you need this and that and this and that. And meanwhile, they go in with their little software and did it. Oh, it's all fixed. Okay, well, that's $1,100, you know. Because I don't know anymore. I don't know how to fix that. But it's completely different and the car still runs. I'm still able to do what I need to do with the vehicle. Well, these guys were so trapped in religion the way they did it. But now they don't... Their hands are off. They're not the ones that are controlling their salvation and their righteousness anymore. Now it's done through the Holy Spirit. It's still the same way today. You have no control over your righteousness. You don't get to be more righteous than someone else. Your righteousness has been bestowed upon you at the cross. And so you can't become more righteous by what you do. I am more righteous than that person because that person is in sin doing this and that, but I'm more righteous because of what I'm doing. I know it doesn't sound right. Hold on. You know, what's my part in this? Our part in this is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Our part in this is to apply the things that Jesus taught us and make it part of our lives. But that doesn't qualify us or disqualify us from salvation. Believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved. Receiving his Holy Spirit into our life. That's what... But... You know, I've been baptized in the Jordan River. How many people were baptized in the Jordan River? Okay, we got a few, right? Baptized in the Jordan River. That puts you in a different class than everyone else, right? Because Jordan River! You know, and, and see, so that's not reality. You know, there isn't... You can't do something better than others... When it comes to receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So while it sounds like, hold on, there has to be something. I, I live better. I, I sin less than others. Or uh, what, you know, that's not what I'm not telling you to go out and sin now freely. What I'm saying is that you're not disqualified because of past sin. And, we, and our goal is to not sin today, tomorrow, the next day. That's our goal. But, you know, we're going to fail now and again. Luke now refers back to the persecution of the Jews as we go into verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. Uh, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So remember the Hellenists were Greek Jews. They were Greek, uh, they were Jews, but they followed greek customs and traditions they spoke greek and they lived like in the greek culture but they were jews and uh so it was a little different they weren't quite jewish enough for jews okay so that's how come they were excluded uh when they were handing out uh to the widows the the needs Back in Jerusalem, they were handing out supplies and the Hellenists were being deprived because they weren't Jewish enough for the Jews that were controlling everything. And remember, then they picked out seven guys to administer to the needs of the flock so that the apostles can then um, focus on prayer and teaching and and the word of God. And, and so at that point they picked out seven people. And most of them were Hellenists. So that they can be part of the administration of what was going on. So here these. Um, the. The. Word of God went out into all the world and then there were some that went to Antioch and then spoke to the Hellenists that were there preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. It's exciting. Antioch was turning to the Lord because of those who were scattered out Remember, they were supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. Well, Antioch was the ends of the earth. Now it's Fountain Hills. (laughs) So then we read in verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged uh, them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so here is Barnabas. We've seen him before when Paul, Saul, Uh, Then had his road to Damascus experience. He went and tried to connect with the apostles. They didn't want any part of him. But Barnabas came and said, hold on. I've seen his work. I know what he's doing. And he is, you know, a brother. And he, Barnabas, the name means son of encouragement. And so here he is. Once again, encouraging others as he goes to Antioch and he's preaching. He's seeing the grace of God being poured out on the people in Antioch. And once again, he's being used to encourage people. Folks, I believe that is one of the most important things we can do as the church. Encourage one another. That's, I I believe... The importance of the church coming together in fellowship here, we enjoy doing this, fellowshipping, being in a place one with another, being able to have coffee and some snacks and just fellowshipping, chatting with each other, praying for each other, getting to know each other as Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And that's what we do together here as we come together in this place. For those of you that are online, I encourage you to come when you can. Uh, But if you're not anywhere close and you're watching online, still connect with brothers and sisters in Christ and, and have that fellowship. It's so important, I believe. And so here's Barnabas doing what he does best being an encourager to those around. And and notice what happens. See, in verse 21 we read, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And now we see a great many people were added to the Lord in verse 24. And so more and more people are now being added to the Lord. And it's because the good news is being delivered and lived in the people People are seeing the good news. Antioch was not a, a, a good place. It wasn't a place where, um, you know, there was a big uh, religious presence. Everybody was It was actually a sinful place. It, it was a city that was known for its sin and indulgence. And when you recognize that, you can you could picture cities in the United States that are known for that. And say, oh, I don't even want to go there. You know, I don't want to visit cities that are like that. You know, how come it's always the beautiful cities that, you know, that always, you know, fall into this sin. And, And, but we're called, not we, but some people are called to go there and share the good news. And there are people that are saved because it isn't. What we're doing, here's the other interesting thing. All of these people that are there and people are getting saved, what are the names of the people that are leading them to Christ? Well, up until Barnabas got there, there were no names given. These were disciples. These were people that traveled from other cities, went to Antioch and started sharing the good news and people started getting saved. And it doesn't say, and they heard so-and-so and they listened to so-and-so and because it's not about the person bringing the good news. It's about the good news himself, Jesus Christ. And so when people hear the good news, it's not... Well, you had to hear that pastor, boy. And, and I have people tell me that I listen to this pastor and he just brings the gospel and so on and so forth. And I'm like, man, I want to hear him too. You know, I want to listen to him. I want to hear what he has to. No, I want to hear what Jesus has to say. Now, I do listen to other pastors so I can be fed too. I I want to be encouraged by other teachers that teach the gospel. But the good news isn't who's bringing the good news. It's the good news himself. And so people were getting saved because the truth was being delivered. And they were receiving the truth. And it was changing lives. And Barnabas... He was just going up there and blessing everyone and saying, hey, you want to know what Christianity looks like? Here it is. And he was just loving on people. And that's what we're supposed to be doing with each other. Especially in these last days. We're supposed to be living like that. Then Barnabas departed... For Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so Paul hooks up, uh, Barnabas goes and grabs Paul, brings him back, and now they spend a whole year uh, leading the church there at Antioch. And they were first called Christians, that's where the term came about. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't like, oh, hey, you know, what, what should we call ourselves? You know, we, we need, you know, some sort of naming, some sort of label. You know what? No, it was, oh, you Christians, you followers of Christ. You're Christ-like. It, it was not a good thing. But today, when someone says, oh, you, you one of those Christians? I, praise the Lord, Yes. Uh, Not a good one, but I try my best, you know, because I just can't live up to the perfection that Jesus Christ did. And sometimes, you know, I may come across where I'm not Christ-like and, you know, you will see the ugly side of, you know, uh, of a human, even though. I profess to be a Christian. Sometimes I mess up. Ever feel that way? Ever feel like you want to go back and, and you know, ask someone, you know, I'm sorry I said that, you know, and, and then do it. <laughs> go back and tell them, hey, I'm sorry I acted that way. That's, a Christian doesn't mean we're perfect all the time. A Christian means we know when to ask for forgiveness. Even if they don't accept it. If they don't accept your forgiveness, you know, your apology, then let it go. You know, I used to be into the old, you know, turn the other cheek thing. And, and you know, and, and if they didn't accept it, I kept giving it to them until they accepted it. You know, and I wanted them to, uh, but that's not the right way either. I'm not going to keep putting myself out. I'm just going to offer, you know, but we still have to act like Christians. In those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So the prophecy was fulfilled in the days of Claudius Caesar is what it's being said here. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief To the brethren dwelling in Judea, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here they were up in Antioch and and in that surrounding area and Agabus comes and tells them, hey, there's going to be a famine. And he had come from Jerusalem, so they already know. That is coming, And then he comes there and says it is going to be a famine. And the first thing they say is, hey, let's go fill up our storehouses. Let's go find a place so we can hunker down. Grab some extra bows and arrows and make sure that we're safe out here. So that if anyone comes and tries to take our food, we can shoot them with our bows and arrows. You know, no. They said... Let's put together some money to go help those in need in Jerusalem. You see, in Jerusalem, it's a city. And they don't have farms inside the city. So a lot of these people didn't have ways to provide for themselves. But these folks up in Antioch, they, they were like, you know what? We've got enough for ourselves. This isn't saying... Just give to others, don't provide for yourself. That's not what it's saying. It's saying God is going to provide for you, and he's going to take care of you, and you could put that aside for yourself, but make sure that you have something to put aside for someone else. Give to others. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, 3. He said, Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that's what we should be doing as believers, as Christians. Even when we were planting this church 11 years ago, other churches actually helped out and helped us take care of things. They provided stuff that we needed and so on and so forth. So as the church you know, grew and as we uh, got new stuff, we made sure that we were giving all our old stuff to other churches that were in need, that were just starting out, that didn't have what we had, and we just kept giving to others. And it was a huge blessing for them. And so that's how the church works. We help each other. We bless each other and encourage each other. We conclude our study today considering the changes the Holy Spirit was making to the early church. They recognized how God wasn't partial to any one nation and that he opened the door to everyone. That's important. That's still the same way today. He has opened the door to everyone. It doesn't matter what religion they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter where they come from, what social status they are, what political party they are a part of. None of that matters. Everyone is welcome to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And it levels the playing field. So when... We see someone that's different than us. Um, You know, we are, this this is what unity in Christ is all about. You know, this is how you break the, the feelings and the barriers that keep us from being on the same playing field. It is by loving each other and by inviting others into the fold. Number two, once the church recognized what God was doing, they sent others out to reach the lost for Christ. See, the church saw that Gentiles were now becoming saved. And they said, well, let's go find out. Let's send Barnabas up there. And let's go see what's going on so that if this is of God, we want it to grow. And that's... Every church, there are many churches out there. Some of them actually read the Bible. And and so the ones that do, the ones that teach the word of God, we need to be encouraging and supporting and being in fellowship with, in unity in Christ so that we can reach the lost. Not so that we can have our own exclusive club, But so that we can reach the lost around us. And there are many. Some of them even go to church. But they're still lost. And number three. The church responded to the prophets who told them that the famine was coming. The church had prophets that told them what was happening. Folks, we have prophecy that tells us what's going to happen. We know the future. It's given to us right here in the word of God. And so we don't need prophets to come to us and tell us face to face. Oh, do you know that there's a a great famine coming? Oh, yeah, I read about it. Jesus said that was going to happen. You know, and and that, you know, the tribulation was coming. Yeah, Jesus told us. We have all the details. Did you know that Jesus was coming? What? You know, see... Sometimes prophets are more focused on prophecy than they are on Jesus. We need to be focused on Jesus because he's the one coming back and he's going to set everything straight. So today, God is using Gentile churches to reach the world with the good news. It started with the Jewish churches, but now... It's the Gentile churches that are really out there reaching the world for Jesus Christ. So let's do what he told us to do. Amen?